Anyway, let's start. Are we ready? Yeah, ready. I'm ready. I'm recording. Okay. Shitty audio. Is that the name of your, your DAW program? Yeah. <laughs> Shitty audio for Windows. Uh, anyway, here we go. Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com. You may notice that this week, The Vergecast is not a TV show like it was last week. It's just it's today, Last week was so produced, this is going to be a free-form jazz odyssey. I'm Neil Patel. I'm here. Dieter Bone is here. Yeah, in a different city this time. Uh, you're all alone in that room. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm, I'm alone in the studio in New York. Paul, Paul is here. Hey, Paul. Hello. Paul got sick at CES because... That's what happens. Everybody in Vegas. is. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, you you're at home on a Windows PC. Yeah, I'm just looking through Which my one? Twitter moments. I don't see I don't see anything. Yeah, we don't appear to be right live now. on Twitter right now. Uh, this is the PC that I. It's great. It's great. If I need to start playing Overwatch for any reason during this podcast, I'm fully equipped to do so. Great. We'll try to keep you interested. I will say this: the dirty secret of most large tech podcasts that I've guested on is that many people are online shopping. What I prefer to do on the Vergecast is just tell the audience what I'm shopping for, which once right. again is a Pixel, and once again is sold out. Just annoying. You're still, You still haven't managed to buy a Pixel? I can't get a black Pixel <laughs> unlocked. A black Pixel LL XL unlocked. That's all I want. Completely sold that? out forever. Right. And I'm going to have to find another shady Craigslist guy to come to my house. I'm currently shopping for the Elago W3 Apple Watch stand, which is a little silicone thing that makes that looks like a tiny little itty bitty uh, Macintosh, the original Mac. Yeah. Best, that. Best, re- site. best reason to, to buy an Apple Watch is to buy a stand that makes it look like a 512K Mac. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> my voice is going out. So I want to just tell the audience right now, the listeners, obviously last week uh, we were at CES. We made a live show for Twitter. It was basically a TV show. Um, it was really fun. I want your feedback on it. Uh, that show was really produced, really organized. The thing I didn't know about making a TV show uh, was that it involves hours and hours of arguing about spreadsheets in different locations with slightly different groups of people. So that's what Dieter and I did at CS. We'd wake up in the morning, argue with Ross Miller about a spreadsheet in Slack for a few hours, then meet Ross. I was usually late, but Dieter would meet Ross in the lobby of the hotel. They would argue about Slack for a while. Then we'd all go to a four-hour meeting and argue with Slack with like a, uh, argue about a spreadsheet with a different group of people. And then we'd have rehearsal where many more people argued about a spread, spreadsheet. And then we uh, yeah. made a TV show. So, but, and the reason for all this, it turns out, if you want to show uh, decent video um, when you're you know in a random conference area in Las Vegas, you need to have it ready ahead of time. And the people that actually put the video on the screen need to know what it is you're going to talk about. And so we had to like decide most of our topics ahead of time, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But for this, yeah. oh, and we also had, you know, there's huge lines of the spreadsheet that said, Paul brings gadgets, which is all, yeah. which is all we want. Um, but that was that. Now we're back to a podcast. Real, real loose. There's no structure. There's, there's no plan. There's nothing. No spreadsheets yeah. in my life anymore. Anyway, but we should talk about some news this week. I would say the only huge news of the week and we're, we're recording this a little bit ahead of the Nintendo Switch announcement, yeah. so we can't talk about that too much. But the big, as odd as it is in the week after CES, the big news of the week is actually old news. It's that the iPhone was introduced 10 years ago this week. I don't know. How do you feel about this, Dieter? Uh, I still am angry that I stayed at CES while my uh, friend and then colleague Michael Ducker, who we both were writing for Trio Central at the time, he got to go to see the iPhone and I had to stay at CES. And I remember the phone that I had to blog about was 
I want to say it was a random Sony phone, and its big innovation is that it had uh, media player controls on one side and uh, the screen and the, you know, 10 key dial pad on the other side and it was very small and that was the phone <laughs> i got to look at while he got to go look at the goddamn iphone yeah um so that that made me very unhappy um I, it also made me remember that when the iphone first came out uh i wasn't sure that i wanted to call it a smartphone because it didn't run native apps oh my uh, god which is a very strange thing oh yeah it was a th- it was we a whole should thing just spend, like, we should just do ancient pedantic tech history arguments on well, the it wasn't a platform hour. like uh, anyway it was so smartphone. that's that's my memory of the iphone <laughs> is just uh deep deep jealousy that converted into a weird opinion about uh ios or back then it was called iphone os as a yeah. platform so i was not a tech reporter when the iphone came out i actually joined engadget in between the iphone announcement in june when it was released but paul you were at engadget wow. then, weren't you yeah 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 okay i pulled it up I pulled it up. Yeah. Uh, 2007, <laughs> January 1st, the, on the 9th, I was live blogging the Dell keynote at CES. Uh, here's a quote from the live blog. Announcing the Dell Home Media Suite based on a Dell XPS 410 with Core 2 Duo, Vista, DVD oh. burner, speakers, webcam, 27-inch display, all-in-one printer, Linksys 802.11N router, HDTV tuner, including HD cable. <laughs> so this wow. is like a, they're like a little package that. They, what is it? They what is an HD cable? An HDMI cable. I guess so. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. Or or possibly like a cable. Wait, so Paul, that's cable what you, that's what you wrote? No, it's got to be yes. HDMI cable. That's what you were writing on iPhone day. Yeah. So I was like actually looking at Engadget's live blog of the Apple event while and other people in the audience were too. While Michael Dell was talking about. <laughs> PCs because you were at CES. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was at CES. We all were. Well, except for you. No, I, I was. Yeah, I was. I was in a law firm, wishing I was at CES, and then I made that dream come true. For Doctor Evil and, and and Mini Me came on stage. Oh my god! So this is like classic Dell. It was a real Dell uh, situation. So but it, I was surprised that it's been ten years. Yes, it stuck up with me. Yeah. It's funny because the current iPhone, it's not a lot different than that iPhone except for the platform. Like, all the specs have been iteratively improved, but they haven't made, like, you know, and it's it's 10 years. Like, that idea was so good that they were able to just refine it for a decade. Like, well, didn't, didn't Peter Thiel just come out saying, like, there's nothing they can do anymore? That you can't you can't improve the phone anymore, and like you can't revolutionize the phone anymore. Uh, so I actually I was talking about this wall on control issue. I think there's one thing they can do, and I, it's a conceptual shift. It might, you could you could put it down as a, a refinement, but I think the phone ten years ago was built in a world of constraints, right? So the the networks were limited, the screens were poor, the battery life was bad, the processor was slow. The phone this phone now. It's like faster than the laptop I had when I was in college. The sc- literally, the screen is higher resolution than the laptop I had in college. Uh, the broadband network it's connected to is, is faster than the computer I had in college. I, I, I'm using that computer as an example because that computer was, no one thought of it as living in a world of constraint. It was a primary computing device, and it allowed me as a user to do all kinds of things. I, I don't know that we've made the shift to thinking about phones as primary computing devices that should do all the things that computers can do. I think we still think of them as constrained devices. I, you can see Apple's kind of doing it on their other mobile platform, the iPad. But 
I don't see it happening in phones quite yet. And I, that's a big turn that's, I think, remaining to be made. I couldn't like look at screens very much this week. My, my eyes were hurting. Uh, so I had a lot, of, a lot of time to think. And um, I would th- uh, this is something that I've wanted for a long time, but I think maybe we're better equipped than ever. I really want mobile devices to help us become more, more cyborg. Yeah. Like you, you were telling a story before we started the podcast about your turntable mm-hmm. and you put a phone on the turntable. Yeah. Wait, so you, I have an you, app. Yeah. Go over this, please. <laughs> do, you want the, do you want the long, hard st- I have an app on my phone. I bought a turntable that randomly slows down. So I got to return the turntable. But I needed to verify that I, A, was not going completely insane because when that happens, it feels like you're in the Matrix and the cat's going to walk by again. Like the music just randomly slows down and speeds up again. So I, I was like looking online, how do you do this? And it turns out like there's just apps for Android, iOS, lots and lots of apps where you basically put a cup over the center spindle of the turntable, like upside down. So it makes a platform. And you put a phone on the cup and you, I don't know, what is this app called? It's called RPM or something. Uh, and you put the phone on it. And it just makes a graph of how fast the record player is spinning. And I was able to immediately verify that my record player was like, uh, it was just like wavering in speed constantly. And then every now and again, it would just dip really hard. Uh, that's like 10 years ago. That is not a po- you. Ha- I would have to like go to Radio Shack and like build something out of like parts to accomplish that goal. And now my phone can just do it. I can just turn a phone into that device very quickly. Right. And so th- that, that image, I think combining the capabilities of phones like that with the, the sort of the natural user interface that I think has been kind of gimmicky so far, like Alexa mm-hmm. and Siri. Uh, so if you could just point your phone at something and say, hey, is, this, is this slowing down or am I crazy? You know, mm-hmm. I, I saw this molecular sensor at CES and like you can point your phone at two different strawberries and it'll tell you which one's sweeter. Like, like if that had this natural interface, that's something that you because you don't necessarily want to launch an app to do every every single you know like I want to I want to be like Rain Man and count all the toothpicks on the ground. I just want to point my phone and say how many toothpicks you know like yeah. like this idea that we could be superhumans in intelligence because these phones are so powerful. I feel like that should be the next step. Anyways, that that's what I'm on. Yeah, I mean, how do we make better use of all the sensors on a phone? Let me synthesize these two thoughts. Basically, what you're saying is you want the iPhone in particular to open up and you want Android to be a slightly more powerful app platform so that a bunch of the stuff on there isn't just a bunch of apps that are kind of like grown up Java is, yeah. is what I'm hearing. Paul has uh, been complaining about Android being grown up Java since, <laughs> I don't know, the first time we talked about Android. I mean, yeah, well, that's, and, that's nine years old, right? And Apple opening up would yeah. be huge because a lot of these, there's such an AI arms race now, like, a bunch of companies and Google's especially doing this. It's like, hey, we have this API. If you hit this URL with an image or some text, we can do something intelligent to that image. We can tell you how many faces are in that image. We can tell you if there are dogs. We can tell you if the dogs are happy. You know, like right. they have these APIs that are on the web that are basically open and, and sometimes basically free. If if Siri hooked into those instead of just like Wolfram Alpha and Bing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, um, yeah. can the iPhone be a little bit more open? I think is the Apple's answer is, I mean, no. Like, we're going to make an integrated product, blah 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, they made they've made app extensions, and there's like talk that maybe that'll get extended a little bit more. But I basically, man, you're going to hate me so much, Neil. I'm going to say a <laughs> sentence. 
I'm ready. And you're going to get super pissed. Bringing the heat on the Verge cast. Yeah, I'm ready. Here, here it comes. I basically take a Kantian view of this. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Bring it. <laughs> wow. Continue. Dear, the dear, categorical dear imperative. You're literally taking me to school right now. <laughs> the categorical imperative is the basic of, basis of his ethics is uh, if you're trying to decide if something is right or wrong, uh, just imagine that it was a universal law that applied to everything. So imagine a world without computers and everything is an iPhone. Does that seem like a world you want to live in? Would that be the best thing for most people? And the answer is no, because it's a closed platform and you wouldn't be able to do a bunch of the stuff. You now, wouldn't the be able to is, make course, an iPhone, for instance. Right. The counter <laughs> is, of course, we don't live in that world. Computers are still out there. There are still trucks. Um, but like so many more people are going to have phones going forward than you know desktop computers and laptops that we should basically treat these phones as though it were the Kantian categorical imperative and that we just have to assume this is the computing platform for the vast majority of humans on the planet for the foreseeable future until we can get the shit implanted in our brains and if that's the case yeah uh, I think that I would rather have a world where you can you know hack a little bit on these things uh, rather than a world that they're like appliances with extensions yeah i mean you know where that leads you inevitably oh god fundamentally I, I, if you say web os i'm leaving the podcast no i'm gonna say something worse okay the motorola atrix it, yeah it well, leads you I to mean, a modular not? phone that can connect to a laptop shell and becomes your laptop or unplug it mm-hmm. and you can connect it to a keyboard and mouse and becomes a computer like that it's great to say the phone is done right which was peter Thiel's argument like apple doesn't have mm-hmm. any innovation left in it and he was like pretty wide with it. I think Dieter was on CNBC today and they asked him about it. Um, yeah, they wanted me to say Apple was doomed. They really did. <laughs> I really didn't want to. Uh, t- um, TV, much so, like this podcast, is built on, on conflict. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction. Yeah. You ready? You brought up the Atrix. If you don't remember, the Atrix was an Android phone. You'd plug it into this weird laptop thing and then it would give you Firefox. Right. And so fundamentally, what it was when you boil it all the way down was a mobile operating system with a desktop class browser that you could look on a big screen. If you look at Chrome OS right now, it is a Chrome operating system that has Android apps, which is basically the mirror image of that. And when people talk about Android and Chrome OS getting closer and what the hell is Andromeda and you know that's this code name that they're going to come together someday, I actually think that's asking the wrong question. I think fundamentally what people want is the power of a desktop class browser like Chrome Mm-hmm. tied to the utility and usefulness of apps on a mobile OS and what, whether or not the kernel is like fundamentally Android or fundamentally Chrome kind of doesn't matter. I think this year we're going to see somebody bring the Atrix back. We're going to see a phone that has a desktop class browser on it. You might not get to use it when you're actually just using the phone, but when you plug it into a bigger screen, you will have access to a proper, real, good browser. And when it's a phone, it'll just be a phone. Yeah. I like I believe it. So, I mean, look, when you're on the mobile network, and we can argue for the rest of our lives about whether the bandwidth scarcity of mobile networks is real or not, but let's assume well, Let's that, do that. Let's, let's never do that again. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but when you're on the mobile network, like, fine. Like, power the phone down, whatever. You know, put it in the state where it plays nice on the mobile network. When I'm at home and the phone's plugged into power and I'm plugged into a display and I'm on my Wi-Fi... There's no reason my phone should have the same constraints, right? It should be as unconstrained as my laptop. And I think that's kind of what, like, that's what I mean. That's the conceptual shift that needs to happen with phones. And it, they're still built on 
this idea of these really deep power mobility bandwidth constraints and yeah 10 years hence like i think we can let go of them actually here's here's the big question the fundamental question for me is actually about the ipad like Mm -hmm. if apple were to make the ipad as like open as the mac would it become a viable replacement because the iPad pro is wicked powerful. And there's these rumors that there's going to be a 10.5 inch. So you'll basically get the, a big ass screen in the nine inch iPad form factor. Um, and then if you take the thing and tell me that developers can, you know, make stuff and I can do stuff on it without having to go through Apple's app store and app approval process, I kind of believe that in a couple, two, three years, that thing, that ecosystem of, you know, capabilities and apps would be robust enough that I wouldn't need my Mac anymore or a Windows PC. I, I think both of you guys are just so wrong. <laughs> All of this. I, I mean, the, the dream we're actually wait, talking wait, wait, about is Windows. I think the yeah. Atrix idea is beautiful and I love it when it pops up and it's fun to flirt with, but I think it's always this there's too many compromises. It's always this jack of all trades, master of none. And I, I, I was at CS this year. I saw the same ratio of like, you know, brave iPad users that I've seen in like years past. Like, you know, they're, they are vastly more powerful, but I think it's a really, it's a form factor thing that, that keeps it, you know, it, you know, it's, it's a lack of a mouse thing. I, I think certain form factors are designed to be powerful for certain tasks and should receive information in certain ways. I, I think web browsing will always be substandard on a phone. And, and I, I, the, the browser keeps on taking over more and more of our desktops, but our desktops are getting like slower and it's sucking more and more. Yeah. Did you imagine like every single like hardcore surface user is freaking out at us right now? Like all we're doing is talking about windows um, <laughs> and like windows continuum, but continuum doesn't have desktop class, desktop class apps. Uh, but the dream since like phones, smartphones have been smartphones has been all your stuff is either on this device in your pocket or maybe it's in the cloud and then you can just have a bunch of dumb terminals. And the phones are definitely powerful enough to do that and have dumb terminals everywhere. This was the dream of the folio. There was this (laughs) thing called the red fly. Um, Oh my God, the red fly. Yeah, what's up? Uh, Wow. There was the Atrix. Deep cut with Dieter Bone. Uh, I'm just saying. That's Uh, a video series we should do, Deep Cuts with Dieter Bone. Deep Cuts with Dieter Bone. You just pull out out really old failed products. (laughs) <laughs> and talk about how they, they really are the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you want more to happen in the cloud and then you have the appropriate client per device. And maybe it's a web browser on your desktop. Maybe it's a really slick, fast app on your on your phone. But but trying to get and the everybody's thick moving in that direction. On every device is oh and, and in Windows Defense they are uh, emulating x eighty six on ARM. So they can have it yeah. all. <laughs> Finally, Can which is a press conference? perfect example of the compromises necessary in this whole scenario. Yeah. So the other news around the iPhone was there a bunch of prototype videos leaked of something. It looked so that the longstanding narrative of the iPhone was Steve Jobs said, OK, we're going to do a phone. He pulled a tablet project, a multi-touch tablet project off a shelf, said, turn this into a phone to one team. And then to another team, he said, turn the iPod into a phone, and we're going to have Bake Off inside of Apple. Um, the, the version of the story that is out there, I think the Walter Isaacson book repeated it, a lot of people repeated it, is that Scott Forstall had the like, shrink OS X, make this tablet 
thing work and Tony Fidel had the iPod into a phone project and they were competitors and they were definitely rivals. Anyway, but one of these prototypes, something actually leaked that is an iPod with support for a SIM card and a dialer and stuff. And it had a weird, you should watch this video on the site. Uh, it's Sonny Dixon found the prototype, made the video, good reporting there. But it had like a multi-touch click wheel and then the iPod interface in like an aqua window above it looks completely insane. And then the other thing is obviously like the junky first, uh, junky is the wrong word, but the very ugly, very crude uh, first iPhone prototype that we actually saw uh, during the Apple versus Samsung court case. So the video of the comparison of the two. So the, yeah, it's out there, the the narrative, the old narrative, Fidel versus Forstall's back. But <laughs> Tony Fidel, he tweeted about it and then we talked and he told me like the actual story. And I think one of the things that is lost that we don't have yet is like the real story of the iPhone. So 10 years later, how it was actually made and like the things that actually happened is still pretty murky. And now it's starting to come out. Uh, and so Tony's thing was first they tried to make the iPod because their marketing department inside of Apple never wanted to lose the click wheel because it was such an icon for Apple. So that was like one of the impetuses behind making the iPod a phone. Uh, then they realized they couldn't dial a number, which is a story we've heard. Uh, then Steve Jobs said, put hard buttons on the butt on the wheel, like the Nokia 3650, which is one of the ugliest phones ever made. They tried that and it failed. Uh, and then John Rubenstein left Apple around this time. Fidel took over the whole project and he killed the iPod thing, and at least is his version of the story. And they went with the OS X version. That to me is it's it's some of the first real insight into the fact that Apple didn't know. Like they tried a bunch of weird bad ideas before they yeah i mean they even tried letting motorola take a crack at it with that uh that itunes phone the rocker the rocker <laughs> one of the worst phones ever made <laughs> like one of, like in motorola ha- i don't know i'm looking many at many peaks and valleys 3650 right now <laughs> that thing it looks like a piece of garbage man <laughs> like wh- that was nokia's phase where they like they nailed like the internals of what their feature phone would be and then their next step was to like put it in as many zany fucking cases as they could so it was always the same phone and they were like what if this one's purple and the buttons are in a triangle this one's blue and they're in a circle like one of the craziest periods in nokia history and now paul's gonna get one no paul's on I mean, ebay paul's on ebay right now 35 yeah. bucks on ebay all right so Dieter, do you want to walk us through this macbook so that's the iphone it's been a decade of the iphone right i feel good about it so the MacBook stuff. So yeah. a couple weeks ago, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably know the story, but a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I don't know how long ago, uh, Consumer Reports came out and said, hey, we can't recommend the MacBook because we've done a bunch of battery tests on a bunch of different models and we're getting wildly inconsistent results. Um, results that like in some cases like boggle the mind. Like we're talking like differences from like it lasts three hours all the way up to it lasts 19 and a half hours, which is like, no, that's not possible. Um and so it, there's a whole bunch of kerfuffle about it. Um, and it comes out that the way that Consumer Reports does its battery test is very similar to, to actually the way we do our battery, battery test, but they, they're a little bit more, I guess, rigorous is the word. They uh, take a bunch of web pages, they put them on a local server, they connect the laptop up to that local server, 
and then they just refresh those web pages once a minute. Uh, but what they do is they dig into a developer setting, which you can find in Safari, and they turn off automatic caching, which makes sense if you think about it, because you actually want to like load and render the web page in order to run the battery test. Now, that doesn't actually reflect uh, like real world use. Most people leave their cache on. Uh, but then again, battery tests never reflect real world use. They're mostly designed so that you can compare apples to apples so you can just sort of see how a computer does on that relative scale so you have a sense if it matches your gut of actually using it of how good the battery is and that's precisely how the verge does its battery test we run a battery test we loop you know a bunch of web pages once a minute we go through them um and you know we try and standardize the brightness on the screen we try and turn off all the extra services we do all that stuff but we're not claiming that it's like an um objective be all this is going to tell you exactly what your battery life is kind of test because that test doesn't exist and it's fair to turn anyway, off caching yeah. you should know yeah it totally is yeah right because um, if one web browser on one platform has a better caching system than the other the test becomes unfair right um so it turns out that there was a bug in safari on sierra that like like did something wacky with like reloading favicons too often or something. I don't know. It was, it was weird, but it, it's one of the things that may have affected the battery life on this test. So Apple fixed the bug. Consumer reports is rerunning it. Um, but Apple was like, this, this test doesn't reflect reality. And it's like, well, that's not the point. Battery yeah. tests aren't designed to reflect reality. They're designed to give you some sort of, you know, comparable metric across a bunch of different types of devices so that you can get a sense of, whether or not it's true. And then you have to actually use the damn thing, have your own experience of the battery life. And if either one of those things like seem wildly off from each other, you figure out what's going on. Um, so the end of this tale is Consumer Reports is going to retest. Apple stands by the battery life on these things. But we definitely experienced weirdly inconsistent results ourselves, especially on the touch bar version of the MacBook Pro. Um, and so... As much as Apple wants this to be like, well, they screwed up. There was a bug. That's our fault. But their test was dumb because it had developer options on. That's their fault. And like call this thing done. I don't know that the jury has rendered a verdict on the battery life on the MacBook Pro. I think it's more the case that we're going to need to wait a few months, see if some software updates sort of clean it up and if people are complaining about it still. But as of right now, I feel like if you care the most about battery life, you should probably hold off a little bit and sort of see what people are saying one, two, three months down the road. Yeah, Consumer Reports is now in their recommended category. They say for, right. for the 13-inch with the touch bar, it's 15.75 hours. Um, yeah. So the, the, it seems like it really helped them out, but but yeah, yeah. I, I think your I, advice is is accurate. It's it's, I mean, this is with beta software. They had to use beta software to, to get yeah. this test to work. So, and there's a there's a history here with Consumer Reports and Apple, right? They, they went. I think they went after AntennaGate. Was it or was it BenGate? Yeah, I think Antenna. Th no, they they did both. Um, and yeah. I think they you know they they've been out front and with like this scratches easily and this shatters and like the ipad gets real hot and the pattern i think marco armet was the first to point this out the pattern is they because they're consumer reports and they have this reputation they say a thing that is true and there's an outsized response to it the thing is like usually not as like catastrophic but it is ultimately true right so like 
the iPhone 4 antenna got redesigned because if you held the phone wrong, you destroyed the signal, which is not a great design. Uh, the iPad, whatever iPad it was that Marco pointed out, it did get really hot. I think it was the iPad 3 or 4. Um, it is, it, they did, between the iPhone 6 and 6S, make the case stronger. Right? And I, I completely imagine that, that for Apple's next MacBook Pro release, they're going to talk about how they've really solved battery life. Which yeah. is, it's kind of it's nice. Like this screw up, even if it was just a software screw up, will hopefully result in them putting actual focus on battery life, which is so important. Obviously, Apple always has, but it seemed like it was a, a side note this time. The German reported that they actually wanted to use a different kind of battery technology, something more like that tiered stuff that they use on the MacBook, and they couldn't get it done, so they just reverted to like classic cells. Yeah. I, I think this MacBook is, this is the MacBook that we're going to look back on years from now is the one they made before they just went all in on the touchscreen design. Like they, they went down this road. Don't it's do, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Apple. So? Don't listen to them. I don't want to ah. touch my laptop screen. You know who touches my laptop screen? Babies. That's who touches. <laughs> they don't know any better. And they touch my laptop screen. Do I look like a baby? I, I, I know we, we have another topic on our, our non spreadsheet uh, topic list. Yeah, but uh, this is something I didn't get a chance to talk with you guys on the Vergecast at CES. But other than all the weird stuff, which is kind of my like job now to to wander CES and find bizarre items, yeah. my my story of the show was the 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 laptops with the 1050 in them. Like, yeah, Dell has uh, an Inspiron 14. Like this is like the classic uh, laptop that's cheap enough to buy for your child before they go to college. Uh, when you're not really rich, and um, like I know, I just knew so so many people that got Inspirons as their laptop, uh, college laptop. This is $800 laptop with a 1050 in it, and you know it's it's just more powerful. And like if if you want to play video games or if you wanted to edit video, this is a much bat- better laptop than almost anything in Apple's entire computer lineup <laughs> yeah which is I mean, just bizarre i don't know why apple sticks with amd the way it does i i can't the, people have offered me reasons obviously there's like the thermal management and power management but you're seeing the windows makers just get out there yeah and i'm guessing a, a laptop with the 1050 is definitely gonna be bulkier than a macbook pro and it's probably gonna get you know eight to ten hours of battery life but if if if, if some of these laptops come out and they get reviews with that good and good enough battery life i i really want to get one i think it's just such a good value i want that nine thousand dollar acer that we saw at ces yeah if you didn't watch the live show you should go back just because there's no way for me to talk about this thing without you having seen it but it's a massive widescreen curved was it 21 something like that yeah, yeah. uh i mean it's just huge it, it has a mechanical keyboard uh it it's the th- it's like you know the fish that live at the bottom of the ocean and they evolve differently? <laughs> it's that, but a laptop. <laughs> like it, It's just so massive, and it's it's just the opposite direction of the way we think of every other device, and I I love it. Like I don't know what to say about it. It's so not practical, but if I could come to work every day and that was my computer, I'd be like, yeah, this is how, this is how I'm doing it. Um, yeah. But that also, I mean, it had, like we literally were a prototype. You got to be careful, but... I looked at the battery meter 
Then the battery is at 90%. It told me that it had an hour left. Yeah. <laughs> well, that thing has two power adapters. You need dual. That's great. I love that stuff. Uh, all right, let's talk about a phone. Dieter, you want to talk about the HTC U Ultra, which, according to Vlad, is just a catastrophic disaster of a phone. So I actually watched the. Wait, can I just read little... this slug, oh, the circuit God. breaker slug for this phone? Yes. HTC U Ultra headphone jack bad design features price. Glad <laughs> <laughs> uh, just I watched their it. presentation for this phone <laughs> last night. It was like eleven o'clock, eleven o'clock Pacific or something. It was pretty late, um, and you know they basically got up and said a lot of uh, meaningless words about uh, you and HTC is focused on you and this is going to you know, make you more creative and change your life. And it was just insane. Um, so <clears throat> here's this phone. It's HTC U Ultra. It's a 5.7 inch Android device. Uh, it has a glass back. It is very thin. It has a camera. It has a Snap 20, Snapdragon 821. Um, whatever. It looks, it looks like a, like a Galaxy S7, but a it little square. It looks like square, a Galaxy a iPhone HTC. 7. That's what it looks yeah. like. Uh, it has a secondary screen up on the top above the main screen where you can have like stuff. I mean, this uh, is literally just a collection of everyone else's ideas. Yeah. So, and then <laughs> the best part is it's got AI guys. Hey guys. Oh, also no. AI. It'll, it'll tell you what the weather is on the place you're traveling to. It will, uh, notice what you do and don't dismiss from your notifications and give you less of the stuff you don't want and more of the stuff you do want. Uh, just like, just like the most, we wrote this piece at CES about how like AI was like the worst thing that happened because all anybody did was just say AI and everybody just sort of trusted that meant something, but nobody trusted it. And so it just <laughs> is a phrase that people add and it doesn't mean anything anymore. And that definitely applies to the HTCU ultra. Um, here's what I'll say about this phone. Uh, Vlad wrote a really good piece. That's like all the things they did wrong with it. They didn't put a headphone jack in it. Um, I... We should maybe have a longer conversation about headphone jacks. I'm starting to, uh, I hate to say it, I'm starting to lose the rage. I'm starting to become inured to it. I'm starting to just accept that Brace phones it. are going to have 3.5 millimeter heads. I don't, I'm not embracing it. I'm just, I've been worn down uh, and am now just, it's just, it's just happening. I can't stop it. Well, it is, I bought what it two is. sets of headphones recently. I bought a pair of Bose Quiet Comfort 35. Bluetooth headphones yep. for my plane yep. rides. I think you have them, right? Don't you have the same ones? I'm, I'm wearing them this very moment. That's uh, why I'm hearing your voice. They're great. Uh, although I will say our, our, our old friend Chris Ziegler was right in that they have real floppy bass if you turn it up real loud. But whatever. They're great. Yeah. Noise cancellation, great. Great on a plane. Wireless. Uh, my first pair of like really expensive Bluetooth headphones. Thoroughly enjoyed the experience, except for all the parts where I had to like use Bluetooth but they actually have a pretty good Bluetooth chip and driver and situation, so it's fine. I also bought the headphones Vlad recommended months ago, the like thirty-six, forty dollars, thirty-six or forty—I don't remember how much it was oh, months yeah, yeah. ago. The Carbo, the Zero Audio Carbo Tenors, which I will give Vlad credit, he wrote about them. Instantly sold them out on Amazon worldwide. <laughs> like his headline was like, "Just buy these headphones." Like the whole, like everyone went to buy them. They were not being sold in America at the time, so I bought them, and they had to be shipped to me from Japan. It took forever. Now you can just buy them in America. Amazon stocks them in America, um, or some 
anonymous Amazon reseller of stocks in America. God only knows how Amazon works. Um, those headphones are great. I think they sound better than the Bose headphones. Like, absolutely sound better. Uh, they're really fun, and they plug into my phone. So I'm at work, and I like plug the, I walk into work, unplug them, because I don't want to wear the huge Bose headphones on the subway. Uh, I throw them in my pocket. I don't feel about losing them. I don't feel bad about, uh, I said it, I don't feel bad about losing them, like, in any Mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. They're not AirPods. I'm not like, I lost one, and now I have to spend, I can just buy more $40 headphones as much as I want, and they sound great. And I can plug them into my laptop, which I did. A hundred times yesterday and today, I don't yeah. want to lose that, and I don't yeah, want to like I know monkey with it, dude. I, I'm just saying that I'm getting worn down. And like, someone's gonna send me a photo of the goddamn dongle, and that I just want you to shut up. Whoever when right this now, thing, if you've queued uh, up the tweet with the photo of the dongle, just back away. Like Paul said, don't touch your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when I, I when I saw that the HTC Ultra didn't have a headphone jack, I wasn't filled with rage. That's all I'm saying. So I, I had that rage deep in my heart, and I just don't feel it anymore. I it's suspect David. that Samsung will put a headphone jack on on at least the next line of Galaxy phones. Here's my thought process, mm. Dieter. I see this phone, and I'm like, oh, that phone, that phone's thin, bad battery life. The thing that I've really learned is my primary inconvenience with this fo- with the dongle life is you can't have your wired headphones plugged in and charge at the same time unless you want to go like full dongle life and have the multi dongle <laughs> and I don't want to go there. So, but with the iPhone Seven, like I, I like watch Netflix all, all the way across the country. You just get Netflix offline and you just watch forever and it's great. And, 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 and uh-huh. I, did, I didn't have to worry about charging my phone. My battery life was good enough that I got my Uber in the morning. I flew and watched Netflix, got my Uber at night and got home and I, I made it completely fine. A year in with this phone or a, with a phone with inferior battery life, this would be a huge problem. Yeah, right. And this, this HTC phone looks too thin. It doesn't need to be that thin. Yeah. It's only got a 3,000 milliamp battery, uh, which is uh, smaller than the Pixel, smaller than, I think, the S7 Edge even. Um, definitely smaller than the Note 7, but we shall not speak of that phone ever again. Here's what I'll say about HTC's phone. The presentation was a real downer. Um, and you know how the knock on LG is all LG does is fast follow Samsung mm-hmm. and then add like a little, you know, hint of something different on top to make it not an exact copy of a Samsung phone? Yeah. HTC is now doing that to LG. HTC is following LG, who's following Samsung. Um, and I don't know I don't know how they turn it around. Like I if I were HTC and I still wanted to make phones, I literally like don't know what I would recommend they do other than make a better phone. <laughs> um, but get this. Uh, they didn't announce any carrier partnerships. Like it wasn't like and it'll be out on these things. It's just they're just making it. Uh, and that's some real like that's that's not the HTC of old. Right. Uh, so this thing's going to come out in a couple of months, and uh, you know we're going to review it. We'll look at it, obviously. Uh, but just it's just like man, HTC no longer relevant in phones anymore. Man, good good thing they got the Vive. Yeah. The funny uh, thing is, is that I, I think they're becoming the sort of declared winner of this this VR generation. At least that's the vibe I get. Like that's where yeah. the, the excitement happens. Like even if you get sales numbers with Sony, like. All the developers are using Vive because it has the most flexibility. I don't know if that brand is strong enough to swing back into phone somehow, but it's interesting. Well, you just take off the headset and then use it as a phone. 
I also will say I can't. I can't. <laughs> you were just, I was just like letting that slide. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was queuing up my next thought. It was really rude of me, Neil. That's bad conversation <laughs> no, on my part. <laughs> the first I can't find. No, this the, the great thing about the great thing about Neil's plan is you can like wear it around your shoulder. Like it comes with its own like, <laughs> like carrying. One of those Motorola backpack phones. <laughs> wait, Paul, what were you saying? Wait, how do you? How would it be a backpack? You mean like no, a backpack shoulder PC? bag? Do you, uh, do you know, remember those Motorola? Like the the it was like oh uh, yeah yeah just yeah, before yeah, they yeah. got small enough, you had to like carry them around in a shoulder bag. I'm getting you. I'm getting you. I know my what mom you're had about. one. I totally know what you're talking about. Okay, sure you do. okay. So I can't find this picture anywhere on our site, but I swear the first time I pulled up our post about the the HTCU, you know how that lead photo of it has two clocks side by side. Yeah. I th I thought what I was looking at was a double wide phone. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be a bold move. Who's going to do the double wide? Yeah. Well, Nobody. Blackberry, isn't that the wasn't the passport a square? Basically? No, LG already did it. It was called the LG View. Oh, right. oh my god. This is really this like, entire episode of this podcast is us remembering bad phones. That's all we've done <laughs> for like 45 oh, minutes. Oh, yes. There we go. Uh, wait, go. can I say one more thing about the headphone jack? It's actually not about the headphone jack. It's about something that I know Dieter cares about deeply, which is oh USB-C fragmentation. So the headphones uh, that come yes. with the HTCU are have a USB-C plug in them, but they only work with the HTCU. If you take those what same USB-C headphones and plug them into another phone, they won't work. This is already true. Uh, USB-C headphones are not always compatible with other USB-C jacks. That is a disaster. I like fine, you can make the argument that and I think Vlad makes it effectively. Lightning headphones are interesting cuz lightning has power, you can do all kinds of things. Like fine. At least it always works. Right. USB-C headphones just all over the goddamn place. I I yep. I don't understand why HTC would make that decision. Like they're saving 20 cents on apart like i don't i don't see it it's real dumb by the it's way I, I can see video dumb. of dieter and, and i know the audience can't what dieter is doing on skype right now is just silently shaking his head and looking wait, sad wait wait so these 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 have yeah paul what you if, can't even like finish <laughs> the thought so the right? reason okay, the reason okay. the re hcc's reason for making these headphones is they have tiny little microphones in them so that they somehow are able to map the contours of your eardrum to give you better oh, sound yeah, they right. use sonar technology to map your inner ear so that they can customize the sound profile to you and that theoretically according to them is a the reason that they only work in hcc phones um okay but here's what i will say okay go ahead if you got other USB-C headphones, they would work with these this phone. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, the answer is like a, okay, well, a if, hard maybe. If if that's not the, true, then nothing matters. <laughs> the the industry group that is in charge of USB, it's called the USB Implementers Forum, has boned the entire rollout of USB-C in about 15 different ways. It goes all the way down to the quality and consistency of their goddamned logo, which is just looks terrible. And 
Apple and Google were two of the primary groups that are all, they're both part of the USB-C implementers forum, or USB implementers forum uh, that were pushing to the standard and Apple decided to put it on their laptops and not their phones. Google was putting it on, you know, whatever, all the stuff, um, but not all the stuff that they released last year in October, which is hilarious. Um, but imagine a world where Apple decided to put USB-C on a phone on the iPhone instead of lightning. I know there's lots of talk about this. They'll never do it. Uh, there's a million good reasons, at least from Apple's perspective, why they wouldn't do it, including the thickness of the phone, um, the quality of the actual like jack. Down the line, there's lots of reasons that Apple will never do this. And so I'm not suggesting that they will, although I wish they would. Uh, but imagine if they had, do you think for even a nanosecond that Apple wouldn't like, whip this situation into shape and everybody would like figure out how to make these things compatible uh, across the board, including the iPhone because of the power of that thing. Yeah. Just the like fact Apple that Apple chose not to... Oh, well, Apple would pick you know, one standard, right? And then right. everyone would just use it because they have the most volume. Like they, did, way, with I, they did it already with the web. So, they did it. They did it with the web with, with you know, they were part of the W3C. They, they like, you know, we're part of WebKit, uh, you know, and now that's fragmented again and Google's do off doing its own thing and, you know, whatever. But like the mobile web only happened because of the iPhone and Apple, while developing the iPhone, participated in the standards body and said, hey, this stuff works better if you do it this way on your websites. And so the only reason that like, honestly, like if, if they had not done that, it, it wouldn't like we would have had to figure it out on our own. Like they they participated and it made websites on phones better. Yeah. And they're they just they don't seem to be as engaged in uh, this thing with USB C because like they don't care that it's only on their laptops. Or right. Whatever. So I have in uh, my notes here by the way. Um, the previous phone was HTC Bolt. The headphone dongle for the HTC Bolt does not work with the Moto Z, which is USB C too. The headphone uh -huh. dongle for the Moto Z doesn't work with the HTC Bolt. Like, I think I put this on HTC, screwing it up. Like, I really do. I don't know why. I, it's just a hunch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they just boned it. I mean, just, yeah. I, that to me, look, my argument about this the whole time has been don't take away the simple universal thing in, in favor of something complex and proprietary. USB -C Good job, Neil. I started this whole conversation by saying I wasn't mad, and you managed to get me mad. <laughs> Thank you. That was Vergecast, everybody. Uh, once again, I'm the winner. Uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, let's do. Let's, we got to stop talking about headphone jacks. Uh, Paul, I feel like you're 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 going to be better at talking about the Nintendo Switch uh, than any of us. It's it's going to be announced tonight as we're. Like yeah. as by the time you hear this, this episode, the announcement will already have happened. So oh. everything that I say right now can be instantly judged. No one yes. will have time to forget how wrong I am. <laughs> but it's I, happening. It's exciting. Yeah, I think the big question. I was talking to some people about this at CES. Like, I I, I don't have a good enough memory to know if are people always this obsessed with the Nintendo things, but then they don't yes. buy them, or yes. is there actually something special about the Switch? I think it might so be can, like can, in between yeah. those two things. Well, they were so, so go back going back in time until the Wii U. The answer was they were obsessed with them and they bought them so much that Nintendo couldn't keep anything in stock. Then the Wii U happened and now they're obsessed with them and they want to buy things like the NES Classic. And Nintendo is like, 
oh, we can't possibly put a chip with an emulator in a box fast enough for the demand. We're out of stock again, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. But I think that, uh, to me, the Switch is, it's just such a compellingly bonkers hardware design that I think people will buy it. I don't, I don't know why I feel that way, but I just look at the gif of the guy in the plane that we have up where he, like, puts it on the seat back and then, like, yanks the controllers up. Uh, and I have no idea why you would want to do that, but I definitely want to do it now. It's yeah. power play. It's airplane power play. I, I, so I, I travel okay. a lot now, and I, you know, I just got a PS4 Pro, and so I'm gotten back into like console video games in a way that I hadn't for a while, uh, and I really like it. And when I travel now, I miss my PS4, and I miss just playing console games. And so I'm going to buy the hell out of this because it will be the thing I do when I'm sitting sad and alone in my hotel room in New York because nobody wants to hang out with me instead of watching the West Wing on my iPad. Harsh burn, Dieter. Uh, I always want to hang out. really you. looking forward to wow. to that future. It sounds like we've let you down, Dieter. Yeah. It also yeah, sounds like uh, poor Lisa, got dark right? Like, <laughs> you're like, I'm leaving. I'm taking the game console with me. <laughs> She has an Xbox One S and a PS4 sitting there. She's fine. Also, again, I've said this a million oh. times. She works for Oculus. She's got a rift with like the like motion controllers in a room that we've dedicated just for VR. She's fine. But let's make this purely theoretical. You're you're a 38 year old first time dad. You commit. <sighs> you have a four year old, five year old child. You convince your wife, that we should totally get this Nintendo Switch because the kids will love it and you'll love it too. Mm -hmm. You got a work trip coming up. Your kid loves Mario Kart and Zelda. Yeah. Where does the Switch go? (laughs) Oh, it goes with me. No. It sticks with me. The Switch stays with this poor child. Because then the kid misses me even more. You (laughs) made your bed when you used the the child as an excuse to buy the Switch. Yeah, I think it's obvious. I'm just telling you that it would uh, the 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 feelings the child has for the Nintendo would get mixed up with the feelings the child has for her father, <laughs> and they would just get all bundled <laughs> so, up together in this, this weird, so dark, broken my, mass. My, my of dad was never there. Would, he never came to my soccer <laughs> games. He routinely absconded with my Nintendo. My dad took the fun away. <laughs> This is terrible. Well, he works so hard. This brings me back to my original point. <laughs> this this thing is so price sensitive because it, yeah. it is a bit a bit of a gimmick. I think the thing is is that I don't think the Wii U was was a bad idea. Full stop. I think the gaming market was moving away from the Nintendo style at the same time as Nintendo was doing something weird, and and the gaming market has continued in this more PC gaming style trend. And like the, the, the PS4 and the Xbox One are, are, are literally PCs uh, and, and sometimes run basically unmodified software from PCs and they compete mm-hmm. with PCs and, and they, ha- they have a few exclusives, but the exclusives don't dominate that, that narration anymore and graphics are amazing. And the Switch is something that is is a lot different than that. And it's going to play Skyrim, which is 100 years old. It's going to play what is probably going to be a great Zelda game, a great Mario Kart game, a great regular Mario platformer. But those are not... Splatoon. What, what do- <laughs> great Splatoon 2 or whatever. 
those are not what it's dominating the the and everybody was like oh nintendo like really gets the esports thing now because they put esports in their like promo commercial but splatoon is not an esport esports are <laughs> dominated by pc games overwatch Dude, I, league I, of legends don't paul all all i'm saying is on paul's headstone i think it should say splatoon is not an esport <laughs> So here's what's going <laughs> on with the Switch. Paul here's why Splatoon is not an <laughs> Here's what's sport. interesting about the Switch. When you looked at the Wii U, you're like, okay, they've got this crazy idea, but it's really badly implemented. This tablet controller is kind of junky. It's got a resistive screen. The Wi-Fi play only works in the house, and like the range is really bad. So and it's not powerful. Uh, if I'm comparing the Wii U to an Xbox or a PlayStation. It's it, like, of course, you don't get the Wii U because it's like it's a bunch of weird ideas that didn't get implemented very well, right? So it was as much about the weird idea, but it was more about like the execution was just awful. Um, with the Switch, I think that the way people are going to look at it, they're not going to look at it like a Switch versus a PS4, especially if they price it right. What they're going to think is what I think. Okay, I really like my iPad. I really like my iPhone. The games on it are good, but they're not really as good as what I can get at home. But with the Switch, the, if they can if they can set it up as like a mobile platform that you can also play at home and have it in that context, its competition isn't going to be the Xbox and the PlayStation. Its competition is going to be like iPad games. Yeah. And yeah. in that context, it could be a huge win. I think that's a good point. But again, I think that's why prices is, is so sensitive here. I, I, I really think that two hundred fifty dollars would be the sweet spot. The Wii U came out at three hundred for the basic unit, three hundred fifty for the non terrible. There's version. no way look, we're we should just place our bets now because the 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 listeners will Yeah, know. by the time you listen to this they'll know the You'll answer. Know. Damn I'm it. saying four hundred dollars. No way. Uh I'm saying uh I think four hundred dollars sounds right. I think that if it's anything over three fifty is a mistake. So uh, there, I didn't make a prediction. I, I made a, a judgment. I was going to go risky and bet 250, but I don't have to be crazy. I'll just say 300 and I'll obviously win. All right. There you go. All this right. thing well, would failure. Is... This would be a total fail, failure, a dollar over 300. I am super excited about it. I think it's really great and I'm glad. Yeah, it, but it, in a sense, it's like a fulfillment of the Wii U vision. But yeah. I don't and, know. I'm definitely going to end up buying one. The other nice that's, thing that's here tell you. is that they they made it, it's less dependent on developers like coming to Nintendo and doing something weird. Developers just basically have to port old games to it. Uh, the Wii U required really th- rethinking your software if you wanted to take advantage of the controller in the in the living room, and that didn't happen, and it was sad. I can't wait to get one of these. That's all I'm saying. It's like, Why it, do you it, want it reminds line? me of uh, like classic Sony hardware arrogance, right? Where it was just like so over designed and like you could do all these things and the, the software is probably going to let us down in some critical way. But it's so crazy that I just need, I need it closer to me. This is a, <laughs> this is your clear. This yeah, is a clear. It's that crazy oh, clear with like the flip around. The camera, keyboard, the camera, bad phones on the Verge cast. That's that's this. That episode. wasn't a phone. That wasn't that a phone. Was a PDA. No, didn't they make a Clie phone? No. Yeah, they did. Someone's gonna correct me, but I don't think so. I'm gonna correct you right now. Hold on. I mean, right. fast the, googling on the Verge cast. The best radio phone. Oh man, I printed the NR7. The thing that around was def. 
that was definitely a PDA. The screen flipped around. It had an insane keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Don't 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 step to me on old ass Palm OS gadgets. <laughs> I forgot they ran Palm OS. <laughs> like the the software was so much less important than the hardware. I forgot they ran Palm OS. You know the crazy thing about these? They had like a phone button on them. Because that's yeah. to pull up your address book. <laughs> so you yeah. could call people with the phone numbers that you stored on. Oh my god. I actually did that with uh there was the, one of the very first Bluetooth phones in, available in America was an Ericsson. It had a monochrome screen, but it had Bluetooth and I like spent just weeks figuring out how to tether with it uh on my Palm OS device and I managed to like be able to tap on the thing and then pull the phone out of its little holster, which was a little screw that screwed to the back of the phone and it could like swing on your belt on a little plastic clip. So I could like pull out my phone, dial the number, put my phone in my pocket, put the uh, pull up the PDA, dial the number, put the PDA in my pocket, pull, whip the phone off my belt and it would be ringing. It was the best. <laughs> Finally, convenience. Can I read I you the, so cool. the specs of this thing? This thing was like $1,000. Wait, which one are you looking at? Oh my God. I'm looking at the, uh, the NR70, PEG NR70. Which everyone, if just when you when you get when you get home, Google this. Uh, it was, I'm sorry, it was six hundred dollars, not thousand dollars. Six hundred dollars. It has a one tenth of a megapixel digital camera, which is amazing. Uh, fastest Palm OS device out there, sixty six megahertz processor. Uh, the line in the MobileTechReview.com write up I'm reading says, "Speed freaks and gamers take note." <laughs> uh 320 by 480 pixel screen higher than pocket pcs uh i mean just these the 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 distance we've covered in the past decade is ridiculous. you for, you forgot the best part what's that it came with a uh memory stick no, it did what, it's, what this it's one a memory says stick slot this one says save files on optional memory sticks <laughs> yeah memory stick slot uh hey yeah. did we go through a cs and sony didn't sony didn't announce a proprietary memory format how is that possible? Uh, it's, it's, look, it's the end of an era. It's also, I think, the end of the Vergecast. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Unless anybody else has a I bad mean, old mobile device to talk about. We should mention that cars exist. Shout out to the E-Mate uh, 300. There's Spin a lot that. of cars out there in the world and people are driving them. It's look true. out. Uh, it was the Detroit Auto Show this week. Our transport team did an amazing job. Paul, do you have yeah, a specific you car you'd stuff. like to shout out? No, I... No. <laughs> well, I'll I'll just say the one that's important. Waymo, which is a terrible company name. That's Google's self-driving I was just, company. I was just sitting here appreciating the fact that you had to say that word out loud, and we just <laughs> sat here in silence. We just we just it just sat in the room. Um, it's funny everyone still calls it Google, but it's Alphabet's self-driving car company Waymo, which was spun out of. And fuck this. Anyway, <laughs> fuck everything about this. Uh, they uh, they shut off their Chrysler Pacifica. Uh, yeah. I don't know. They they're like it's designed for self driving hardware, which really to me looks like a whole bunch of plastic surrounds for cameras, which is fine. Yeah, they it was it's like better integrated, but like not that much better. Yeah, integrated. it really looks like they hired a bunch of like street tuners. Who like usually put ground <laughs> effects on Civics, and they're like, just make these cameras look kind of conspicuous. <laughs> like, uh, they look like Celine Mustang. Anyway, that's a card. Oh, whatever. Uh, look, yeah, Paul's right. Cars exist. Uh, they're slowly becoming autonomous. 
Uh, and you should read our coverage of that well, from the Detroit Auto Show. I'm more Show. interested in this Chris Chris Latner guy. You, you know oh, yeah, about he him? Jumped. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he made the Swift programming language, which is the sort of the successor to Objective C, which still hasn't completely replaced it. But it, a lot of people like it. I think it got good uptake. I don't think it's solve all world problems. But um, his project before Swift was LLVM, and that is like. That's just ascendant. That like basically runs the world as far as like it's like the open source project that is like made almost any like something that we're gonna start seeing in the future is this thing called WebAssembly, where you can basically use any programming language that would compile down to bytecode, but compile it to WebAssembly and then it can be delivered to a browser like JavaScript is, except in a, like a more concise way, um, and, but you have to be better. Like a, you have to manage memory and stuff like that. Anyways, LLVM is going to be a big bridge for that, and it's it's going to be like a huge deal. And LLVM, I think, is like, I mean, that's his like that's his Moby Dick. That's his huge achievement. So I don't he, he doesn't really have to achieve anything else. He's 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 already a total legend in software. Yeah, a bunch of people have left Apple recently. Um, mm-hmm. It, some, many to Tesla, many to other places. I, that's a thing. It's it's another one of those like memes that's floating around. Like people are leaving. It's getting a little little stolid. Is that a word? That seems like yeah. Amazing. That's definitely a word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another meh note to end the show. That's speaking where we are. Of, speaking of stolid, <laughs> what's that, Paul? <laughs> Look, I'm saying go watch go watch the three episodes of Vergecast Live from last week. They're high energy, they're scripted, they're super produced, there's segments, there's teleprompters, there's me and Dieter ranting the camera. I have so much makeup on. We were wearing so much makeup. Uh, Megan was there. She was amazing. She was hyping it up. Wait, you want that? You watch that. This episode of this show is us coming down, swinging the pendulum all the way back to just a, a couple of friends having I think a time. We did a great job. I just thought it was funny to say. As Stolid. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a solid time with you as well, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, All right, that, my God, that is the end of the show. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Presumably we'll have prepared. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, there's other shows to listen to. Uh, Control-Alt-Delete is back. Uh, Walt and I talked about TV and the iPhone and told great job stories as always on that show. Lauren Good, who was on the broadcast with us last week, uh, hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is wonderful. I think she and Features Karen, me this week. It's got Dieter Bone on it himself. Just the family out, just doing it this week. Uh, Peter Kafka hosts uh, uh, Recode Media, which is wonderful. And Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, uh, which is all, all fine podcasts that you can listen to and learn about the tech industry. And also just listen to the three of us talk about old phones. Uh, that's it. That's Vergecast. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul, Paul, cut through the night. <laughs>